And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. <laughs> yes, the boots of dancing of gaming podcasts. It's a festive way to go out. <laughs> uh, you know, there are worse ways to go. Cloak of Poisonous. <laughs> oh, yeah. But thank you, Nessus Shirt Company. Yeah. and You uh, people suck. Scarab of Devouring. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. D&D does. It does provide the best... <laughs> Screw you, DM oh, yeah, evil artifacts. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> the boots of dancing. That's a that's a festive way to go. You know, you're you're hosed. But... Yeah, we're gish galloping our way to the next topic. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, let me do a buck and wing. Yeah, <laughs> just, uh, we'll do the old shuffle uh, and ring in the new. Which hey, it looks like uh, <laughs> looks like our our previous. Method of divination was a failure. Oh, yeah. So I, I must introduce people to our new one. Oh, yeah. Well, we were going to do, and we still will. Oh, it'll happen. Uh, gaming celebrity status. But uh, I think time has passed. We went on vacation, and we're all back. All bedded and fit for another year. All back from relaxation. So we come with a new... That was me. I, I was in the Upper Peninsula for two weeks of kayaking. And we were at staycation. Uh, and book reading. Which I savored every possible minute. When it rained, I was in front of a crackling fire with old books, uh, and man, I I tracked I you I dug up my old copy of Don Quixote. Oh man, yeah. So I was reading Miguel de Cervantes, uh, and then I I did some historical fiction, uh, Lawrence Shunover's The Burnished Blade, mm. uh, and oh, what was it? Uh, Selected writings of Honor de Balzac, uh, and I, I finished off with like a nice pulpy, relaxing, fun thing. Yeah, Mercedes Lackey's old stuff uh, from the eighties. So yeah, I uh, just started on Ian Toll's uh, Pacific War trilogy, uh, Twilight of the Gods. Ooh, not bad choices, but uh, yeah, the vacation was actually much needed. Uh, that having been said. I was sorry to be away and miss a podcast. Yeah. Well, that one kind of slipped by. We put the uh, top four gaming choices. And, yeah. Uh, and quite a response, too. Yeah. we ha I've had a lot of positive uh, response from it you know, on Twitter. And, and a few mixed signals, you know, yeah. which admittedly, I, I think we kind of expected it. Oh, yeah. We, we knew we're right from the get-go that, that uh, nothing gets uh, Jimmy's in a rustle from the grognards like talking about Pathfinder. Hey, you know, it, it has a controversial history in a sense, because there's <clears throat> like it's a split between people who received it with affection as a kind of a temporary inheritor of the throne and people who saw it as an interloper uh, substitute, you know, that was yeah. not like like it's the lesser inferior product. You're like, well, if we can't have Mountain Dew, I guess some moon mist is there, but like it's crap, you know. But it, you know, I'll, I'll drink it if I have to. So we're gonna uh, in response to so some of the calls we've got. Uh, we've got Jason here. He uh, dropped us a dime. We got uh, the Dice Screen podcast and. We're going to feature him, and then we're going to go from there because I think uh, he hits a lot of things on topic, and we spent some time talking about it, and we just said, hey, you know what? We'll let celebrity status go for uh, next 
podcast. So that's the prediction. The new diviner is the Macaromancer. Oh. Yeah. Divination by swords or knives. So I'm looking at this knife and I'm seeing celebrity and D&D. Celebrity and gaming. Uh, the rise of like the concept of that. Wow. It used to be just the designers, but now there are people affiliated with gaming uh, playing as players, uh, you know, orchestrating, um, you know, visual media uh, or podcast media that has brought them a level of, you know, substantive recognition. That is a phenomena that did not exist. Right. It is brand new. And we're going to talk about that and the upsides, the downsides, some of the personalities, uh, you know, and their ups and downs in our next episode. So that's the Macaromancer uh, taking over as the new diviner. All right. So now on to calls. Yeah. We got Jason. He's online. Well, he was oh, about a week or two ago, but uh, he left his nice message. So we're going to play it. And then we're going to critique. So get ready. Great episode. I don't, I'm not going to give you a hard time over your choices. Definitely. I, I, I think <laughs> you, you laid the groundwork and, and you defended your choices very, very well. And it's hard to, you, you know, refute those. I would replace Pathfinder with D&D first edition or AD&D first edition, I should say. Um, personally. I don't think Pathfinder saved the hobby. I think other games were out there. I think people would have kept playing 3.5. I think that's the time the OSR started coming out. You have, you know, Castles Crusades, other things coming out. Um, I, I think the, and Vampire and those things were out, right, already. So the RPGs wouldn't have gone away because of 4th edition D&D. Um, so I don't think Pathfinder is as influential as as you do. But that doesn't make you wrong. So I respect your choices. And even though I would replace that first one with AD&D first edition, I think is being influential. You could even argue OD&D, right? The, you know, the original white box is going in that spot. But I think AD&D, could, actually, you could argue OD&D for being a looser, looser game and AD&D for being your maybe one of your first really tight games, right? Your, your more procedural kind of games and your games that are really, really um, rules-heavy, crunchy. I, I guess you might use that word. But I, I, I can't argue with your choices, and, and I wouldn't want to because I, I think you did a great job defending them. Um, great episode. Really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to your next one. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. Yeah, um, I think that... Uh... But thanks for uh, noting that uh, you liked a lot of our choices, but uh, you would replace Pathfinder with 1E D&D. And I think we went pretty well on why we would choose that, but um, I also feel that like there was a couple points misrepresented there, that uh, we didn't claim that it saved the gaming sphere. No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, Vampire had already been out, but it kind of faded at that point time the second incarnation of the world of darkness was out at that time and it kind of spoiled a lot of people's taste because well i think the vampire of the 90s era was kind of also 
a confluence of events. It, it tied itself very well to a lot of events and the feeling at the time, but I think also it ran its course and they had a meta plot that wrapped everything up. And so it needed a new beginning. And uh, they did. Oh, yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't backsass their their choice into. Mm-hmm. Look, they they've been running on the same framework for a very long time. So I, to give them credit where it was due is if I don't feel that it was like a questionable move. I, I feel like right. it was justified. But I I would say that they did experience a kind of. Like loss of interest curve. Like, yeah, after like their apocalypse, where the Hunter of the Reckoning came out, and you know, all, all, all Galconda and uh, the apo- werewolf apocalypse, and um, the mage uh, quintessence was showing up. That everything kind of happened at once, and they made a nice uh, wrap up of it. It was a good uh, ender. Every story does deserve to end, and I think they gave it a, a suitable wrap up. But afterwards, it did feel a little diminished, and so they decided to restart it with a new line and renamed everything. But it's recently reappeared, and I think the what they call it was the fifth edition of vampires, uh, extraordinary. Uh, after they had some <clears throat> interesting problems with uh, some of their uh, choices, fourteen eighty-eight is a questionable choice to put on there, but. I see that's been expunged, rightfully so. Um, yeah, and look, I'm I'm not going to give the company flack over it because honestly, unless you are really wired in and have a good knowledge of uh, some of the hidden terminologies used by people who are bad actors, if you aren't aware, this stuff can slip right by you. Okay, and you know that's you you wouldn't expect in order like I love games and I make games. That guy, 99% of the time, is not going to know, like, oh, uh, wow, that's that's like a favored code for, you know, uh, various political activists uh, uh, that <laughs> they don't want to say exactly what they mean. So they use this as like a marker, uh, you know, so that those who are in the know will know. Uh, you, how can you yell at a company for that? Okay, that much specialized knowledge is hard to maintain, and they are not the only ones who have been subjected to that like discreet yeah. intrusion, where people with some bad intentions. Crept well, they, in they under caught the it before it hit the main market. I, yeah. That's what was. So they they did their due diligence, and I have no grudge against them at all. Yeah, but they brought it back. I hope the new game. Uh, I, the original craze may not happen again. It's uh, hard to capture lightning in a bottle like that. I yeah. think it was just at the right time people were hungry for it. And hello, Ragnar. Our cat is making an appearance here, or my cat. Mike's, uh, Mike's the visitor here, but uh, yeah, he feels the necessary need to uh, chime in our podcast. So hope you enjoy the extra cat content. <laughs> That's right. Here at the Nice Screaming, fifty percent less. Extra cat content. Yep, cat content. <laughs> uh, also, apparently, like big fan of vampire, huh? Yeah. How you doing, Rag? Huh? It's just eyeballing me now. Well, of course, attention has been paid. So now, that having been said, I wish them the best of luck. But you, Randy's right. You can't capture lightning in a bottle. The sensation of a very new gaming style and concept happened at a specific moment in the 90s and it just flowed outward majestically and captured a lot of adherence uh, which is how it got our nod for influence 
because so many gamers intersected with it momentarily that it altered the way in which they perceived what a game can offer. And so when they returned to other games, they brought a hint of that sensibility with them. Yeah, another uh, listener said that uh, he was very glad about our choices because he said he played uh, Traveler a lot. He said the, almost every science fiction novel, he played two mega campaigns that lasted each for about uh, five years apiece. And uh, they were based off of works from Jerry Purnell, uh, Larry Niven, and uh, Paul Anderson. And uh, each one of them was succinctly different. We should do a sci-fi authors episode again, an appendix and sci-fi. Yeah. And just those three. I mean, the three guys you mentioned there, we've never covered. And they are giants of 1970s, early 80s science fiction. Yeah, Greg Bear, too. I would definitely throw Saber Hagen. Forge of God. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, Traveler, but... it really does have that level of influence and connection. Uh... Yeah, it's almost like a nuclear reactor in a box. <laughs> it's a breeder reactor that just intensifies the subject of science fiction into a weird form of plutonium that only exists in very rarefied existence conditions. And uh, it definitely springs forward. I also think that... Uh... Oh, my goodness. Uh... <clears throat> Apparently, we are also being harassed by cats wanting to go to the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ragnar's on a tear today. Now, uh, having said that, one of the magnificent things about Traveler, as we had mentioned, was it's the incredible variety of places you could go with it. Uh, Not just like the influence and reach it had uh, or its simplicity. But the infinite variety of scenarios that it could encompass, from haunted house in space on a dead ship, uh, to like miniature style, like mapped out combat between vessels and fleets. You know, if you want, or even ground combat in the science fiction. Exactly. Uh, You know, ground pounding. uh, You know, turf war. <laughs> traveling to worlds in different technological states of development, uh, interplanetary exploration, mercantile and trade activity, espionage, you name it, it's got it all. It's all possible inside their system. It's small wonder I glow. Yeah, and you know, I think it's finally coming around full circle. A lot more people have been introduced to it and thanks to Mongoose for keeping the flag flying high. Yeah. But the real contention that we're getting at here and this is where we're going to spend the majority is we're going to talk about the path not just the reasons why we defend it. I think we defend it well. But Jason brings up a couple points here. Is one of them that we're uh, kind of trailing on here but let's uh, get on get on the horse so to speak. Yeah, we're ready for this one. Okay. Um is that yet we didn't say it was uh, saving gaming. It uh definitely held the flag high. I think Mike had the best analogy for that. Yeah, when I was thinking about it uh in an almost mythic narrative what happened some well, I believe it's like going on almost 20 years now. Not quite like, like 15. Yeah, so about 15 years. Uh here was this magnificent flag, uh, the banner, like the, the standard, raised high on the field. Uh, and that was like D&D, leading the charge. Yeah, third and, edition, 3.5, however you want to. 
I, I if I were to measure a quality of a game based on its influence alone, and like other components were not factors, then decidedly, I, I got to go with Jason on the, like if that was the deciding factor, then D&D Zero or D&D First Edition would be the archetype, the the largest and most relevant one in the room. Mm -hmm. Other components were factors in our choices though. So I had to divorce myself emotionally. But back to that battlefield, the standard bearer, you know, at the time of 3.5, the battle suddenly turned against Dungeons and Dragons. And down went the banner. And fourth edition came out and people seemed to flee from the game. Paizo came along. Uh, there was a big component difference between fourth and third. And they were trying to, one, I still believe, conspiracy theory from Mike here, mm. I still believe they were eager to get away from 3.5 and the OGL so that they could return to the IP tradition where, like, this is a protected property and, like, all residuals thereof are ours and ours alone. Uh, <laughs> And the other component was like, can we reduce the dungeon master's role so that everybody needs all the same books uh, and everybody's the dungeon master and they all buy more? <laughs> well, they didn't get that. I, the, the market numbers just showed that uh, the people who were original gamers didn't like it that much. Uh, they did manage to survive and you know, like fourth edition was still around and they, they really pushed hard and they, Oh, we, we got to move this idea forward. And I mean, the customers are being stubborn and some of them just don't understand how awesome this is. They're having bad wrong fun. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't understand how to play the game, you know, and, and enjoy it properly. Yeah, maybe it's just that like we were having a really great time. Like we, we were winning the war, you know, we were winning it, winning and the banner was high. And then you put an arrow in his face and it dropped to the ground. And some plucky little kid who used to play the fife and drum in the background, Paizo, grabs the standard, holds it high again, and the troops begin to rally around the king. Like the, the game that is the closest to the representation of D&D. Especially the first edition with the em their emphasis on content and adventure and playability. Yeah, giving people games to play. Okay, it's not just enough to have rule books to sell. You've also got to have material out there consistently. And Paizo did very successfully uh, continue to put out product that supported gamers playing at their table. And they grew. And over the space of about 10 years, they transformed into the flagship for RPGs. They, they outsold D&D. The only large-scale selling RPG to have ever unseated Dungeons & Dragons. Now, with the banner raised and all of that, eventually, although they did not save the hobby per se, what we are saying is they held aloft the ideals of what dungeon mastering and game creation and at the table play is all about. They held to support the players, support the players, support the players, you know. And while fourth edition waned and Pathfinder waxed, 
the folks at D&D sat there and thought, you know, we might actually have been wrong. Like there's a structural flaw here. We're not connecting to people the way we had hoped we would. And they made changes that reflected a return back to the things that Paizo had kept aloft. You know, like the, yeah. the example was still there. It, it was You couldn't erase it because it was no longer controlled in-house. You couldn't pretend yeah. that never happened. It was happening and it was selling better than D&D. Well, that first adventure path, Rise of the Rune Lords, yeah. gave people that formative adventure concept that first edition and basic D&D gave is like Caves of Chaos or Keep on the Borderlands. Yeah. And Village of Hamlet or... Uh, well, oh, slave lords or against the giants had when you played that you experienced maybe differently but the same type you had the same formative experience that other people had playing it at different tables bingo and people were talking about hey did you play rise of the rune lords what about that did you fight Kurzog the taker how did that go for you oh like, man he was such a knucklehead because <laughs> we lost two players during that one yeah uh, this was the magic the the something that I feel was missing from fourth edition and that cost D&D dearly for a, like a lengthy span of time, uh, there was a perception that the dungeon master was an obstacle because it is a tough job. And you know what? I don't feel like their reasoning was wrong. I feel like their, their end decision was wrong. Yeah. But their concern, I admit it. I'm going to own that and say... Yeah, it is. It is a tough hurdle. Okay, DMing is a chore. And you got to love it or it doesn't work. And then number two, there's a whole set of skills, as we have discussed in many past episodes, that make better DMs. And learning those is just a really steep curve for all these new arrivals. Um, So their end result in fourth edition was like, how can we move away from that? But in doing that, they lose something that is intrinsic to the soul of the D&D experience. And that is, I, I feel very strongly that that is something that people noticed in the shift away. And they did not like it. It didn't resonate the same way. Like uh, the note struck false on the It doesn't route. slap the same. Yeah. Like you're not getting that gent. You know, bing. Yeah. Uh, right. Now... Love you, Lesky. Yeah, we love you, dude. Privates uh, <laughs> for the best. Uh, don't slap like that. Well, the end result was the kid holding the banner rallied the forces long enough for the king to rise again. I'm very happy that D&D came back to the table and said, okay, okay, we, we may have made a slight misassessment and here is a product line that is more robustly supported. Maybe you think. And here we are with D&D now more popular than ever. I mean, just dominating the marketplace in terms of uh, popularity and social relevance, which, boy, you never, if you told me 30 years ago that would happen, I would have called you a crazy liar uh, and told you that your pants were on fire. Um, <laughs> I did not see that coming, like a major curveball. So I'm very happy with the final end result. Don't you like it when you're happily wrong? Yeah, I've never been happier about being totally like unprepared. Yeah. Just like, whoa, I 
I did not expect that at all. That is not, I thought this would go down a totally different way, but what a happy mischance. But to wind it up uh, and turn the floor back to Randy for a minute, the end result was that D&D borrowed its own inheritance, okay? The, the material that Pathfinder kept alive uh, with its 3.5 OGL uh, roots became the basis for what should D&D move back to to be more successful and more marketable and more enjoyable. Uh, and for that, I thank it. And that's not saving the game, but I, I feel like the spirit passed from body to body. Uh, and while the game itself is not absolutely essential to the existence of gaming, uh, it is the largest contributor. It's the largest and most famous brand name. Uh, and there was a window period where they just lost their way. And somebody reminded them of who they were. Yeah. And when they came back to that, they came back better than ever. They just, they got it. Uh, and for that, I'm so thankful to Paizo. That is probably why, even though I have only been an occasional Pathfinder player, from an outside assessment, you know, like not as an enthusiastic, uh, like chronic player, mm -hmm. as an outside assessor, I, I may not be their biggest fanboy for, is it my favorite game of all time? Because that is not what the last episode was about. It's not my favorite game of all time. But using the measuring system we had uh, with like ease of play, uh, reach and scope, and the importance of what it's done, uh, when we placed that as one of the four, it was also a nod to 3.5 and the like golden era of D&D's ascendancy. And it's a second nod to D&D as it has become because I don't think the game would have evolved into its current form without Pathfinder having held the line uh, and rallied the troops and kept core concepts alive. I, I feel like we would be playing or possibly not playing, which would be far worse. Mm. We might not be playing a, you know, transformatively popular fifth edition right now. So that, I, I guess that's the motivation there. If, if you really dig under the surface, that's what did it for us. All right. Well, we'll <laughs> be back after this little break and we'll keep talking about part two of our top four. All right, we're back. So yeah, uh, Mike summed it up pretty well. I had a couple points to make and uh, well, just to put it mildly, I think that for the most part, Jason, you're right. This is a long letter to you, so Hope you're hope you're enjoying. Uh, we're not really trying to pick you apart here, but we are taking some of the points and running with them because we felt that there was a lot of content. What you said, just that short, yeah, for, 
for a uh, short missive, you know, it really like it packed a lot of punch. So talking about the OSR, the rise of the OSR concurrent to uh, the rise of Paizo, I think the OSR held a standard as well. And I just always find it weird that uh, a lot of the old schoolers just did not like uh, Paizo. I think it's a resentment about third edition that may have something to do with it. Um, yeah, OSR encompass, encompasses such a huge range of activity. Right, you can't so really nail it down, but Castles and Crusades, I had a, a lengthy discussion at Gen Con with the creator of Castles and Crusades, and I had to kind of ask why. And I've always kind of wondered about the retro clones, uh, personally. Um, although I like some of them, I've always kind of looked at it like a, a scans that, yeah, you know, but the game already exists in this form. Uh, you can always go back and play first edition, or you could play... Uh, Find the Moldvay uh, little uh, flat books with the red and blue books. Oh, yeah. Basic yeah. expert. You guys play those. But, you know, I also understood that those weren't readily available. And when I got my hands on Labyrinth Lord, I was very impressed. I was like, you know what? This is also a labor of love. And now with the OSE, the old school essentials, both for classic fantasy and advanced, I'm starting to see a return that, you know... <clears throat> There's a reason for that. Now, I'm giving you that in a little bit. So we're just going to put a pin in that. I think there's a lot of money still to be made. But the marketing just doesn't grab people. I think it goes to our generation. It speaks to older gamers. And I'm not trying to put us in a pigeonhole, but <clears throat> I was just listening to Eric Tenkar, and he said that I'm old. I'm 53. I'm like, I'm 54. I'm not old. I'm 52. You know, hey. Uh, Maybe I, you feel old. I don't know. I... This is a weird off-topic thing for us to get onto for a moment, but but I think we are aging on. gamers. I, I I feel midway old. Okay, I, look, uh, I'm not as I'm not as uh, energetic as I was about uh, 15 years ago. Uh, you will not find that crazy ambition, like boundless uh, energy that I once had. Uh, <laughs> but. I'm not decrepit. Okay, well, I don't I think feel like we've all learned oh, how to pace ourselves. Like the race runners. is over. Oh, there. We're not going to come in first place, but we're not going to come in last. Oh yeah. And you know we may not win that checkered flag every time, but we sure don't come in last. So, <laughs> the race car driver, more Primus. So I think that there's. There, there's a lot of resentment, I guess, that has been what I'm trying to say is that there's been a lot of resentment over the years. Um, I went into a Discord server, old school gamers, and guys were talking about, hey, what did you guys play this week? And, uh, <laughs> I told them, oh, I played a really good game Pathfinder the other night. And it was full of 30 people. And all 29 of them had to give me their succinct opinion oh, yeah. on why... Dude, uh, it was like he farted in an elevator loudly and there was no way to blame it on anybody else. You know, and like just literally the whole, everybody in there just turned and went, you what? Shame on you. Shame. How could you play that game and enjoy it? It's terrible. It's awful. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I don't get that. I, I've never understood it, mm. man. The I don't have... If our measuring system had been purely any one of our components, like just one, right. like if we picked one component, uh, if it had been incredible influence, oh my God. Uh, yeah, D&D, first edition, and like it, its relative importance and fame would probably be it. Uh, and again, if like just, is it Mike's favorite for personal reasons? 
it, D&D first edition would totally be in. Mm. But I've got these things compartmentalized. You know, they, they're each individual components. Is it structurally superior to all the other games? No, no, it's not. It was clunky and awkward. And they, they worked very hard to eventually improve it. Is it... Uh, the absolute best incarnation of the game uh, just inside measuring different forms of D&D. Man, that's so tough. It is. Uh, and that's why we wanted to really, when I we broached the subject, we, we basically spent about a good 40 minutes discussing it back and forth. And it wasn't uh, intense like uh, argument where fists were curled and teeth were clenched. But I think that well, we, we did intellectually we did we did intellectually spar and uh, there was points taken and uh, Mike made a good one and finally you know he was like you know what you're right I, I think we had to go with this. And, I was going to say the current fifth edition uh, right. for its relative smoothness and its you know in terms of gameplay uh, and adaptability mm -hmm. uh, product support popularity and current reach it hasn't had a lot of time to have influence and so it lost a little ground in that respect but there you know that's something that can only be projected it got off to a slow start i think is one of Bingo. their big failures of it is they didn't the they hit with the war of the dragon queen which i thought was a good idea but they didn't press it like okay when paizo came out and they had rise of the rune lords adventure path they featured that prominently on every release they promoted it heavily and they talked about it and they and they made sure it was available and they made sure that people could find out about it and that first one really set the bar for what every adventure path you know council of thieves um, curse of the crimson throne second darkness they all uh gave glimpses into that world and for the same way i don't play fifth edition i uh, my wife and I were talking about uh, she's going to, with her uh, stepdad, start playing 5th edition. Oh, and I, I said, um, you know, no, I would play 5th edition under one extraordinary circumstance. Uh, because I don't want to play in the Forgotten Realms in 5th edition. Because Fifth Forgotten Realms, for me, exists only in one system, 1st edition. But... Well, Drew, second edition Forgotten Realms was so badly fractured by, let's make it like the novels. Die. <laughs> I didn't mean to start. I don't want to be uncertain about that. I didn't mean I to pull that band-aid. I don't want to waffle, okay? I don't want to have people think, oh, well, he's trying to be nice. I'm not. No, he, he was They being... had a great thing, then they, like, took the great thing, and then they shot the great thing in the face, and then, like, they took a crap on its corpse, and then they buried the corpse. Uh face down in unhallowed ground. Yeah. Now, I'm very happy about 5th edition returning to that format because I'm not really hostile to evolving gameplay in Forgotten Realms. Uh, I'm a little more protective now of Greyhawk, and I'm kind of glad they chose Forgotten Realms because Greyhawk is kind of like ancient sacred ground to me. I'm like, all right, please, like, let's not, if you must resuscitate this, I would like it to be done in a very tasteful and respectful yeah. fashion. I think it's a little Forgotten weird. Realms, I'm very open to where they have gone and how they have conducted themselves in this iteration. So, But my, my, my special place for Fifth Edition is the Tal'Dorei campaign from Critical Role. 
I really liked that campaign and how it incorporated a lot of those changes as part of it, just like how Pathfinder interesting inc- choice incorporated those changes direct of uh, the changes of the 3.75 version that they presented into their camping world, which was Galarian. And I discovered it through the lens. And I think that's an interesting choice here is why I also feel like very protective of this Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk is being used. Like even Eberron. I mean, Eberron, I, I just didn't, it's it's not my game. I don't hate people who play it. I don't hate on anyone or, or try to scorn them, but it just didn't speak to me. It wasn't my style, but hey, you know what? I'm very encouraging. Well, I try to encourage whiff, people to enjoy it. It had a little whiff of Grimdark, which is a thing we broadly approve of. Oh, just yeah. Just a whiff. You know, it, it, it had a lot of components going into it. Absolutely. We should do an Eberron examination of yes. the original incarnation, Absolutely. which, man, is that overdue. Uh-huh. Uh, because okay. let's face it, it has some influence and there are elements of it that remain entrenched in the current edition of the game to this day. Yep. So thank you, Ebron. Yeah, and I think that translates pretty well because Ebron was a lot more flexible. I don't want to say elastic, but flexible. Yeah. Because elastic kind of gives this weird terminology that it can be anything you want it to be, but Ebron has a certain feel and a specific evoc- evocative setting to it that it can survive different editions. I think it is a superior game because Forgotten Realms depends pretty much on old school fundamentals, just like Greyhawk does. There are certain aspects of those Atmosphere. level limits, um, class restrictions that give it a unique feel. It doesn't necessarily dictate that those aren't, um, you know, some groups tend to ignore them or change them, whatever. But the idea that dwarves just aren't wizards in Greyhawk. Okay, I I get you there, because there's a long history that supports that. And sometimes when you break those rules, it doesn't, it's canon and it's all malleable. You can do whatever you want with it. Absolutely. But Eberron is that type of flexible where you can change anything at any time because the setting is very permeable. Yeah, I'll admit, if I were playing, and you brought up a great point, okay, different atmospheres uh, are so entrenched with specific you know uh, settings and i could play a different game where a dwarf is a magic user yeah like, forgotten realms that's a little were, bit more open if i were in like another game and i was playing a dwarf who is using magic i don't think i would feel that out of place it would still be a little awkward but to play in a greyhawk campaign if i were like my dwarven mage in greyhawk I would feel like uh, like somebody, instead of having dinner in the kitchen, like, hey, how about we all take our plates and go eat in, in outhouses? <laughs> like, gonna go have dinner in a porta potty. Right. I would feel like I was doing something that was absolutely ridiculous and I, I hear inappropriate. You. And like, this is not the right setting for this event. Okay, that that is how out of place I would feel. And I can't help that. And you, you really hit on that note, and it it really captures my attention there. I like that. That you know, that's that's why when I said you know I'll play this edition, but I would like to do it in Taldora because I really am a fan. And of, that would be a great way. How to well that they have changed the setting to fit the fifth edition framework that I don't feel out of place with all the like Furbolgs and Catobliad uh, and different genocide as standard races as I would in say uh, Galarian. I mean Galarian has a lot more tieflings 
than probably a lot of people are used to. But the Dragonborn have a place specifically in Tal'Dorei, and I'm not saying that other campaign worlds haven't worked it in there. But I look at it from a different aspect, and I think that because I remember certain campaign settings through the first lens that I examined them, it makes it a little hard for me to get into it as much as a newcomer. And a lot of newcomers don't have the hang-ups I do, so I recognize that this is not my game, and it's not my time. Tal'Dora just really takes that onus away. It it gives you back the ability to feel like you're experiencing a new thing in a comfortable environment. Right. I like it. Okay, that that totally makes sense to me and seems justifiable. Well, that's why I like it as a visitation. Worth mentioning meta here. I'm going to go meta for a moment and mention we've never actually discussed what circumstance would make it possible for Randy to play 5e. Uh, he has not, like he has done cursory examinations of the material uh, and had a lot of discussion and some education on the topic itself. So it's not like he's 5e illiterate, but in terms of participating as a DM uh, or participating as a player in a 5e campaign, that's something that he has just not done. And I, I like I promised about a no, year I, ago that I was, before I started passing judgments and doing reviews, uh, I, we didn't cover any of that material because neither of us had any practical uh, experience. And now I do, you know, a few years later yeah. down the road, uh, I've had some wonderful times playing 5e uh, and certainly brought the magic back. I'm, I'm in a very happy place with it. Yeah, I like the uh, fifth edition game i played a uh, fighter in uh, the war of the dragon queen and i liked it we got up to 10th level before we quit so oh. it petered out a little bit uh, players kind of lost interest in oh i did promise uh, occasional updates on games that we're actively playing which yeah we'll, we'll catch more up on that one later because we have not uh, been able to sit down for about three weeks to game just because of vacations and all the uh tumult that's been going on i will say that uh, the players have uh, thrived and survived like they they most of them oh, yeah. hit level two uh, and are now you know in exploration mode on smoke island uh, volcanically active and you know all kinds of man-eating plants uh, <laughs> everything in nature wants you to die <laughs> uh, but they're they're fulfilling missions and building up scratch money so that they can really launch into being god hates us and nature is his weapon yeah that well they they have been in that mode for a while so i like some of the pressure is going to come off now uh, i will not foreshadow too much uh, but they are better armed and finally better armored and uh, instead of desperate survival mode they're starting to move into exploration and like make connections and meet other people and have influence and places to go. Meet interesting, to go to exotic locales, meet interesting people and kill them. Well, the people have problems with critters and they are solving some of those problems. Though I was fascinated that uh, they rescued a pair of marrow and they got a, like this is a first edition campaign I'm running. They, the marrow were under attack by other monsters, the players, helped kill those monsters and the marrow despite being thoroughly evil i got a really good reaction roll on the morale charts or like the uh, the interaction yeah. charts and they well i could not justify the marrow being enthusiastic they were cautiously receptive uh, you know in exchange for having survived the fight and you know being having once been outnumbered by critters 
and having lost a couple of their number in that initial brawl, uh, the players were, you know, very reasonable about letting the marrow go. So they've they've got like a like one ticket, kind of so to speak. <laughs> like, you know, the the marrow may not be the aquatic ogres may not be completely hostile to them on site, uh, and I'm holding that in reserve. I don't know where I'm going to go with that yet because this is a campaign that is written in the time period between events. Yeah. You know, like the the future of what they will experience is very loose and very fluid. There are certain key elements that I've already peppered everything with, and there is an overarching plot, but week by week, it's the player's choices. It's a sandbox campaign. So the call, the judgment calls they make determine how things unfold. So, yeah, it, it's you, like you know we, we need to give coverage to our Monday night games like this. You know? You know? Uh, but anyway, pulling the pin back to the thing I placed on the Paizo market, I think one of the things that, why there is resentment of Paizo. Now, for all you wanting to steel man an argument against Pathfinder, here's your turn to listen up. If you've listened to this part in the show, here's your payoff. If you really hate Pathfinder, and I mean you really hate it, listen carefully. I'm about to spoon feed you some insider views of what is wrong with Pathfinder. My main complaints about Pathfinder, after playing it for almost 13 years, is that it encourages, it's very easy to get into. Mike is very right. At the first first through six levels, it's pretty, pretty easy. The learning curve is, it inclines a little bit. But after six level, it starts going up steeper. Around seven grades level, you have multiple abilities, spells, options, uh, magic items, uh, <clears throat> feats, uh, knacks, tricks, and the more books you put in, the more convoluted it becomes. And Pathfinder stacks very comfortably, but it can get very weighty. And one thing I've noticed throughout the years is that the attrition of players starts around eighth to tenth level. People slowly start losing interest. It becomes cumbersome to play through multiple sessions, almost uh, combats, even though I pride myself on my efficiency of knowing the rules ahead of time and being able to dictate them right back to players without having to reference it. Every once in a while, there are ones that do cause a page flip and the timer comes on where I spend only five minutes adjudicating a rule or looking it up. If we can't, then we move on. Pathfinder encourages, and the reason for this is, is that Pathfinder encourages its players to be very explicit about their actions. What they cannot do is not as important, or what they can do, excuse me, I got it backwards, is not as important as what they cannot do. And if it isn't implied what they cannot do, then like this is a free action, this requires a standard action, or this requires a full round action. If they do that, they, they can't quite grasp what they're supposed to do. And I've noticed this when people play in my old school games that they loot, they get upset. Like, I didn't know I could just do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to hold you. Fire, do this, do that. Um, it's an ability that you're accorded to, or you have, you don't have to, you know, drinking a potion is a thing that you can do, but you don't have to announce it ahead of time. If you wanted to change your mind, these things make Pathfinder very cumbersome at its high levels and the attrition and interest rates start to drop exponentially the more the higher level they come by about 12th level it becomes for some people almost unbearable and Mike is quite a vocal in that he does not like the high level stuff and 
no matter how good the story is written, if you burden people with too many rules and certain players who utilize those rules crowd out players who are there for the enjoyment, no matter how well the game master does his job of trying to um, cut the pie so everybody has a piece of time during the session, combat seems to loom large in a lot of people's minds and, and those who are extremely efficient at combat and finish the fights first or mow everything down before everybody does uh, have get a chance to move do does feel anticlimactic and in the old school renditions occasionally the wizard will throw a fireball into the room <laughs> like you throw a fire you, i said the room's dimensions did i stutter <laughs> no throw the fireball uh, guilty as charged and yeah that annihilates it. and sometimes the, the archers just you know Good hits from all the uh, people who had their sling stones, javelins, arrows, and other flingy things ready. They mow down the opposition before any of the melee get it. And sometimes the melee just butcher everything in sight. But you see, it is just a natural, almost organic, built-in part of the system. There's only so many times the match gets you. There's only so many times that all everybody uh, mows all the opposition down. In my thoughts... Uh... You know, Pathfinder suffers same, like some of the identical issues that 3.5 suffers. Yeah, and they carried it on and in some ways intensified them. Yeah, so the the structural flaws of Pathfinder, uh, albeit, like, I consider it to be relatively few and relatively uncomplicated, okay? They're just, you know, but the flaw you brought up is arguably, I think, in fairness, the the flaw with both systems uh, in 3.5 is the sheer weight as you move to the higher levels the accumulation of interacting effects becomes burdensome and it is complex for people and it causes burnout and some i used of to us have... who are a little older and remember how complicated <coughs> the game got Pardon at me. times and have played a lot of different systems with equal complexity or greater complexity we don't consider it a steep bar that's not a big hurdle for us but in fairness to other people's views that does it bogs people down it it takes some of the fun away and i admit i i had a couple of hostile reactions to extra high level gaming where the game became a game of calculation and it was very much meta power gaming at its worst where it was just a table of six people who had painstakingly developed the most insane ultra combos that they could possibly come up with for every possible advantage and we're doling out just a crazy level of harm and then what randy had to go through as a dm which we have spoken of in like past episodes is that he had to amplify what he was throwing at people accordingly he had to match the threat to the players and if you can imagine six super players with six super characters that you know like combined as a team can dole out like 15 to 1800 points of damage in a single round uh imagine the stuff that he had to Enough work to overtime. sink the yamato yeah that, this guy across from me here then proceeded to spend all week developing threats uh, and subtleties and loopholes and ways to confuse distract uh, diminish and otherwise you know challenge these uber characters uh, and i stepped into the middle of that <laughs> that was my like my early 3.5 experience was to show up at a table of uber super meta gaming madness 
and I was just like, no, I'm done. I'm out. I can't. Yeah, do this. and and I had that in other arguments with players or people losing interest, and I realized that it wasn't me. It was the game, and I had a epiphany. Was to play better games, and so I've simplified my uh, over. Overall, I've simplified my game selection, and I think that uh, my table on Monday has really showed it. Of course, I'm sharing the spotlight with other DMs now, so that's also a big factor because now the players are helping me develop the whole world as we play. So, yeah, interactively、uh, developing a custom yeah, sandbox. Yeah, we, we, we put four or five、uh, new places on the map just in our、uh, weekly、uh, encounters. So, I think that in praise, if you really want.、Uh, Your payoff from this, and you've listened this long. Here it is. That that's my closer on Pathfinder. Yeah, I think that there is some problem with it, and it, different people have different reactions to it. But I think overall, my end game experience with Pathfinder has been that at its highest levels, it tends to diminish player enjoyment as the optimization and customization factors. Creep in and start to change how people feel about the game. No longer role playing can carry you through, and I think fifth edition has met that pretty well in the middle. When I was tenth level as a fighter, I didn't feel like I was crazy burdened with feats and abilities like I was in yeah、uh, Pathfinder. I felt like my fighter. I have a couple complaints about how the fighter stacks up against the barbarian, but. I think overall, with my weapon specialization, a couple of my、uh, little knacks and、uh, abilities that I could choose from, I felt like using a, being a noble, using a halberd and a bastard sword. Yeah, I did not feel was,、uh, was a good. Yeah, I didn't feel death proof, but I felt like my halt, my time spent in mastering the halberd and bastard sword were well spent. I had some good whole cards to draw on to prevent like sudden instantaneous death. Uh, and I admit that that is a facet of like you know some versions of 5e gameplay now. So yeah, a little less fatal if you choose to make it that way as a DM. But I was playing a high level ranger, and I felt like I still had limitations. You know, yeah, I had strong suits, but there was a limit to what I could embrace or handle on my own. It really took some teamwork,、uh, and we. Let, let's be honest. We we didn't win every scenario. Like there's a bunch of them where things just, you know, we we botched it, we bungled it.、Uh, the dice were partly、uh, to blame for that because me rolling a series of total abject failure ones.、Um, <laughs> if you can imagine a half orc ranger trying to sneak up and observe a situation from a safe distance,、uh, and just like literally. Three total failures in a row until everyone, like if there was any, I, I should have just shown up with a loudspeaker and like picked up a megaphone and went, "I am watching you. You should notice that." You know, just, oh, yeah.、So、and I also think like Pathfinder Two E has cleared up a lot of the problems. So I, I liked that, that I could fail. Okay,、yeah. I was high level and I still didn't get a freebie. Okay, that's that's where Five E got it right. Is that it's topsy turvy. Uh, losing a role is not the end of the the game.、Uh, there's the difference is that in like 3.5, there were enough cushions that it was extremely hard to ever go wrong doing a simple task、uh, at high level. Yeah, you you.、Mm -hmm. It's like team never loses. I appreciate that in some respects、uh, because like the accomplishments of a very high level character should be considered, but. 
5e brought back the possibility. I think you gave it a balance. I think yeah. the second edition too, as I've taken a longer look at it, has addressed some of my concerns that I meant, and I don't think that they have as many flaws as they did. I think still Pathfinder 2e is not quite my cup of tea, but, but I do. have old school essential classics in all of its glory, and I will not tire of it anytime soon. Yeah. So whatever you like. However you like it. We oh, put out a list of oh, yeah, four we... games, and we wanted not to state that they were our four favorite games, but they were four games that we felt changed the scenery. Yeah, four favorite games would be a different list. Right. Straight up. Like, as we mentioned in the, the we previous We just talked top four role-playing games of all time. Not Numbers shall not be three, nor five. Not, not Mike's four favorites, but four I mean, games of great importance. And I think we did a good job of it. So thank you, Jason, for calling in. This was not a personal attack on you or anything you said. We just wanted to cover some points. Yeah, and we felt like we left a lot out. Yeah, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't misrepresented or we were misheard. So thanks a lot, Jason, and everyone else who's listened and uh, chimed in on this. You've been in a valuable source. So We love you all. Thanks so much for your support and listening. But we're going to tie a knot in it and leave you off there. So... May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.